welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, who's ready for their seminary course? Did someone pay you? I'm not going to call anybody the L word, but I don't know about all that. Okay. Love you too, baby girl. All right, we are, uh, we are in the intro, the intro of the seminary course that we are recording for future posterity. And this is part two of the intro. This is either going to be nine or, or ten courses, uh, classes long. And you are the guinea pigs. Amen? We'll, we'll see how this goes. And uh, so then when I call the different Bible colleges and seminaries that have asked for it, I say, well, it didn't go very good at our church. Maybe your people will like it better. Or I can say, man, our church loved it. Your people are going to totally love it. So I'm praying that I do a good job and that your ears are tuned to hear as well. Together, the spirit in me and the spirit in you is what's going to make it successful. It's not just me or just you. It's both of us together. Teamwork, ready? 1 Peter chapter 2 in the BSB, verse 4, as you come to him, as you come, this is an infinitive in the Greek, as you come, it's not I came once, as you come to him, the living stone, notice the definite article, the, not a living stone, Jesus isn't one of the options that are out there. Jesus is the option for life. If you're going to build life into your life, he's the option. There is no backup plan. There's no plan B for God. God's not going to be like, well, if you take Jesus, it'll be really good. You know, but you can do it your way. It'll be all right. There, there's no other life. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. It's either his way or the highway. And I know people don't like that. They don't, they don't like very rigid definitions on things. But one of the reasons that we have a jacked up society is because we're about two or three generations into young people being raised with no standards. They have no security because there is no parameters. They, they move and they go. How many times have you... Have you been somewhere and you've seen a parent say, if you do that again, kid, I'm going to whatever. And then they do it again and again and again and again and again and again because the kid knows there are no standards. There's no parameters. You aren't going to lie to them. And so when we grow up and we're two or three generations into parameters of that nature, then we're going to always be breaking the parameters, even so much so as to redefining the gospel in the kingdom of God. Hey, God, hey, divine butler, that works for me. Let me tell you what you need to do today. Oh, by the way, I call this prayer. 
And I'm sure God just like sits down, okay, I'm ready to take notes, boss. Tell me what to do. We, we, we have such an entitlement attitude towards life and towards the things of life that, that we really honestly go into our relationship with this residue towards God. The greatest thing that you'll ever learn is that there is one God and you are not him. He's inviting you into his way. You're not inviting him into your way. That is so, so important. And he was rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. I want to remind you, do not let public opinion determine whether you're doing it right or not. Public opinion is finicky. And people of the public are finicky. I have zero concern about what the world, the unsaved world, thinks about how I'm doing my life and ministry. Zero. Zero. And they think that they have a lot to say. Go check my Facebook if you think I'm lying. I'll show you the emails. They think that their opinion matters. God bless them. It's the same people that had an opinion of Jesus while he was doing ministry. They really thought their opinion mattered. They would tell Jesus what they thought, anticipating that Jesus was going to be like, well, well, okay, well, since you said it, I guess I need to go with you. You've heard me say this a lot, and I want to remind you, for those of you that, are, that desire to influence others, remember, we are the healthiest, wealthiest, and most influential group of people that God has called in the region, and so part of your calling, part of your identity is influence. And if you want to develop influence, let me tell you, I spent 25 years in the secular world. I was a division vice president of a billion-dollar company, and I can tell you that secular leadership and Kingdom influence are two very different things. In the, in the world, the person who wants to slaughter the people in front of them so that they can stand on the dead carcasses and, and eventually rise to the top is the way leadership works. In the kingdom, you lay in your life down for your friend and be in the lowest possible is how influence works. Yeah, which is why the world doesn't adopt it. They're going to teach you how to, how to micromanage, how to tell people what to do, or how to convince them with wonderful uh, communication of how they now all of a sudden desire to do what you've wanted them to do all along. So it's called manipulation. And that is not Jesus. Jesus never manipulated anybody, nor was he ever manipulated. Leadership in the kingdom is influence. You carry influence. And part of influence is that people will ask for it. I just don't go stomping off into people's lives and tell them what I think. Well, I got something to tell you. Let me give you a piece of my mind. That's why some of us ain't got no mind left. We gave too many pieces away over the course of our life. <laughs> I, you are not going to have influence with people that don't desire to hear what you have to say. This is why this is a safe place for me to declare truth. Because God bless you, you bunch of crazies. You woke up and you decided to sit in a purple chair and hear me. I, I don't know what's wrong with you or what's right with you, but God bless you. Now I have the ability to 
deposit truth into your life because there's an open door. And I think some of you might be frustrated trying to influence people who have shut doors to you. It's not okay. You're going to frustrate yourself and eventually you could push those people farther away because they don't want to hear it. I have, I have people literally all over the world that, that call and that reach out to me regularly, daily, that ask me for my opinion, for my counsel, for my influence, for me to come to them. I, why would I spend my time chasing people that don't? And Jesus was the same way. In John chapter 6, you might remember this, he was teaching on on how it was going to be important for everyone to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the people that he was preaching to were so carnal that they literally thought that he was talking about cannibalism. And they're like, whoa, 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 crazy preacher, this must be a cult. And Jesus didn't fix it. He said, I say unto you again, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the whole congregation got up and left. And not one time do you see on the pages of Scripture, Jesus said, wait, 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 no, don't leave. I need you here. You're the congregation that, that affirms me. You tell me all the nice things at the end of my sermon. No, he watched him go. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going too? And Peter responded, God bless Peter. Peter said, where would we go, Lord? Which means we thought about it <laughs> and we're pretty much invested in you. <laughs> where would we go, Lord? You are the ones that have the, the words of eternal life. Peter knew. Maybe he didn't understand, but he knew the authenticity of the source. Jesus had more influence in the 11 than he did in the crowd. And that was okay for him. I care way more for the influence that I have with the people that I disciple and our leadership team and you people here that are actually gathered. I care a lot more about that than the thousands of people on YouTube or Facebook or anything like that. I don't they're, they're going to come and go. They're finicky. They're going to hear a message, and I'm going to be the greatest person that's ever preached ever, and they're going to share it to a thousand of their friends. you got to hear this guy. He's awesome. And then the very next sermon, the very next week, they're going to be like, what? I don't like that at all. You stink. And then they'll have to send all the messages to all the people that don't like me. I told you this guy was awesome, but I was wrong. He's a jerkhead. I don't, I, those are not the people. Beloved, hear me. Those are not the people. The people that want to be a part of your life. The people that come humbly and submissively into your circle of influence. Give them the best. Jesus did it. And with 11, with 11 guys, Jesus changed the world. Eleven's enough. 
as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. What the world rejects is some oftentimes precious to God. I think about this when I'd have someone very, very vile in their rejection of me. Like, rejected by you, precious by God. God calls me as precious. I'm not. Uh, verse 5, you also like living stones, like living stones. He's the living stone, you're like the living stone. Who should you be like? You know how many people have said, well, I can't be like Jesus. Well, why not? Because I'm human, so is he. Well, I'm not perfect. What do you think made him perfect? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. The spirit of holiness is what made Jesus holy. The, what empowered him is what empowers you. His relationship with the Father, being committed, being allegiant to God, being in love with God so he would love righteousness and hate evil is what kept him from the temptations that the world has offered him. He was tempted in all points like as you are, yet without sin. How? Because he had the, in, the, he built the internal faculties that were necessary so that when temptation comes, he wasn't tempted like we are. If we would build those internal structures the way he did, we would be free from the effects of this world like he was. And I know you're thinking like, there ain't no way. Okay, I can assure you, there are people in this room that you're tempted by things that would never even I wouldn't even give it two seconds of a thought. And they're real temptations in your life. Like regularly, hourly, they, they batter you. They want your soul. And I wouldn't think about them one time in a year. How is that? Because I'm so much better than you? I'm so much more holy? No, because I have built the internal structures that those things are not going to be a part of my life. And you can too. What you focus on, you become. You focus on on righteousness, you focus on love, you focus on mercy, you focus on forgiveness, you focus on building the internal structures of your life, that's what you'll be. You focus on a glowing screen, you'll be whatever they're trying to program you to be. And they're trying to program everybody. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, are being built. Amen, as long as you're in here, you're being built. As long as you're listening, as long as you give God an open door, he's going to build. But if you slam that door, he's a gentleman. Are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Holy priesthood. Not American Christian. That needs to sink. Because what you make the goal is what you're going to shoot at. And if you shoot at American Christian, <laughs> I don't even, I think, I th honestly think those two terms are nearly oxymoronic. They are, they are at odds with each other. Because it is very difficult to call your identity American and call your identity Christian at the same time. I am a son of God. 
who lives in America. I love this country. I'm patriotic. You guys know that. Wrote the book about it. But I am not identity as an American. My identity is in heaven. I am a visitor here. I am a sojourner. This is not my world. I am not of this world. Neither are you. American Christian is antithetical to each other. Now, you can be a Christian in America. I believe that you can be a Christian and a patriot. All these things, and I can, I can help you navigate that if that's confusing. But whatever you shoot at, whatever you target, is what you're going to have in your crosshairs. God wants you to shoot at holy priesthood. Some of you struggle with the first word, holy. Holy means set apart. Set apart specifically for divine service. God brought you into his family because he wanted you to do the family business. Amen. When, when all the Hutchison kids grow up, they're going to likely do the family business. They're going to drive milk trucks and farm and drive tractors and knock buildings over on accident, all the stuff you do on a farm. <laughs> Why? Because they're being raised in the family business. And she posts all the time, here's Sawyer out in the shop fixing a tractor with daddy. He ain't fixing nothing. He's just covered in grease and loving it. <laughs> He's probably making it worse, but he's learning. He's learning the family business. Maybe right now you are a two-year-old and you're covered in dirt and you think you're doing something good for the kingdom and the whole time God's like, oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> but hang in there. Hang in there. You'll figure it out. We are called by God to do the family business. Not just be in the family, but also do the family business. What's the family business? The gospel. And the gospel takes priests. You are a set-apart people, built for sacred service, in sacred space, to do things that only God's priests can do. And that's you. And if that's not what you see in the mirror, the mirror's lying. Because God built you. He knows what he made. A holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's out of Isaiah. To you who believe then, this stone is precious. This stone is precious to who? To the people in here that believe. To some people, the name Jesus is a cuss word. To you, the name Jesus is precious. And it's worthy of our praise. We can sing about it. Jesus. Other people are mocking him, mocking his name. 
They're mocking you for being here. But to you, it's precious. In fact, I would say this, that one of the ways you can find out where you stand with Jesus is really honestly how precious is he to you. If you can ignore him all day, ignore his word, ignore his ways, he's probably not precious. You focus on what you're precious with. If, if, you are, if you're sold out to money, guess what you think about all day? Like Snoop Dogg, I got money, my mind on my money and my money on my mind. What does he think about all day? Money. To him, money is precious. He's going to live his life for money. What is precious to you is what takes your thought life. For me, it's, it's you. Honestly, it's you. It's the people I disciple. It's, it's my bride who's sitting far away from me. It's my youngins. It's my family, my sister. This is, this is where I go. Because y'all are precious. Jesus is precious. How do I influence more beneficial things in people's lives? How do I get the people that I love to live better lives? To have more success, to have more fruit, to have more blessing, to have better marriages, to have better health, to have better finance. How do, God, what can I do to help the folks that I love? To you who believe then, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know, Jesus has a way of balancing the books. You don't want nothing to do with him? That's your choice. But I have news for you, at the end of your life, you're going to have something to do with him. Eight, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is something you probably have never uh, have never heard one of the names of Jesus. You know, at the ark, God bless the ark, they have all the names of, of Yahweh, Yehovah on, on, in the cafeteria. They got, I think there's nine of them. Am I right, Hannah? Wherever you are. 14. They got 14 names, and, and Hannah's like, hey, did we get it right? And all this, and so it was, I was really blessed. Like, they actually wanted to know. Like, shocking. And I don't know how many people realize this, but God has lots of names. Because name means nature, character, honor, essence, authority. And so God has a lot of those things in a lot of places. And so he's got a lot of names. And one of the names for God, right here in this verse, because Jesus is God, so one of the names for God is rock of offense. You've never sang that song. Ooh, Jesus, we love you. Rock of offense. No, this isn't the one that, that gives you rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. But this is one of his names. This is who he is. He's the rock of offense. And remember, we live in a world that is infinitely offended. So guess where it's coming from? It's not racism, it's not, you know, religious bigotry, it's not, it's not Christianity versus Islam, it's not the West versus the East, it's not Hamas versus Israel, it's not all this stuff that they think, that you think, that we've been told, it's not it. 
It's right and wrong. It's good and evil. It's righteousness and unrighteousness. It's Jesus either is precious or he's a rock of offense. That's what it boils down to. Now, they wouldn't say that, oh, this ain't about that, really? Because I could go into it and drill down and find out that what this comes down to is good and evil. Let me, let me say it this way. This Israeli-Hamas conflict. Here's how you can know that. What would happen if Israel, if Israel laid down all of their weapons? There would be a genocide. There wouldn't be a Jew left. Because Hamas has made it clear, we're not stopping until there's every Jew in the world is dead. So Israel laid down all of their weapons. If they said, fine, peace. We're going to do whatever we got to do for peace. We're going to lay down all of our weapons. Every Jew would be dead. But what would happen if Hamas laid down all their weapons? Peace. Israel would say, great. Praise God. We'll go back to doing Israel stuff. You guys go do Palestine stuff. It literally comes down to good and evil, right and wrong. Everything in this world. There's no such thing as racism. There's pride. There's bigotry. And they're just picking on the thing. Racism is the silliest one. You, I've never heard anybody come and say, you know, I just don't like those people with red hair. <laughs> Why are you laughing? What's the difference? I don't like people with dark skin. I don't like people with red hair. What's the difference? Skin or hair? Color? There's no difference. The, what's in the heart is hatred. Bigotry, pride. Together we are building the temple of the living God. We are being built in sacred space as a covenantal Jesus community of remnant people. That's you. You're a remnant people. Remnant sometimes means weird. But, kingdom, but world weird is kingdom normal. I'm going to read these verses in Jesus' name. Without stopping. That's right. You pray. Pray hard. Pray in tongues. Emergency tongues. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. I think Hebrews is one of the books of the Bible that you would be way better off just taking all the numbers out and reading it like it was written. It was written as a letter. You should read it as a letter. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to go right past all the numbers, and I'm going to show you what the context of Hebrews is. I spent about, a, I don't know, 45 minutes with the guys yesterday in, in men's breakfast, and we went through, and I gave them, uh, I basically broke down exegetically the book of Hebrews and gave them the 30,000-foot view of what the entire book of Hebrews is, and then showed them what the pinnacle was, and every one of them was like, what? I had no idea. Because we don't read the books like this, we don't get those big picture things, and so we can't, we just take this one little verse. This is my favorite verse on my refrigerator. Well, what does it really mean? Well, it means that my refrigerator's saved. Duh. <laughs> there, there might be more going on than just your cool little verse that rhymes. There's a context. And so I'm going to do a little bit of that. I can't do it all. Once I start reading these verses, you know I'm not going to stop because... You all gave me that naysaying stuff, so watch this. Amen. Hold my coffee. 
We have much to say about this. Just, just pause. <laughs> this, this is important. This points to what he's been talking about. So, <sighs> I'm not going to go back and do that. But this is really important. So please, in, when, you, when you're done here, go back and see what the this is. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are dull of hearing. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. Exclamation point. For everyone who lives on milk is still an infant, inexperienced in the message of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith in God. Instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. That's six foundation principles. And this we will do. <laughs> yep, we're going to do it too, beloved. And this we will do if God permits. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of of the coming age and then have fallen away. To be restored to repentance because they themselves are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to open shame. And that Heaviness, that thickness you feel in the room right now, it should be there. If it wasn't there, I would be concerned. Because these are concerning verses. And I don't think that there's a lot of people out there that realize that when they're playing tiddlywinks with Christianity, that they're doing this to Christ. They are shaming Christ because obviously living for him is not important enough for them. It was important enough for God for Jesus to die but it's not important enough for us to live for him. We probably have a very different value system than God. And if you have a different value system than God, you're probably lost. We can pick up from the language of the author that he was not pleased with the level of spiritual maturity of this people. He was writing to and was inferring a real eternal danger connected to their immaturity and lethargy. You know, we kind of think lazy is like, ha-ha, kind of fun. Like, ah, I'm lazy today, I didn't do much. Lazy in the spirit is one of the most dangerous things that you'll ever have. The snake in the grass 
would love to sneak up on a lazy person. Only those that are diligent, only those that are guarding their sacred space are not going to be bit by a snake. Adam and Eve got bit because they were not doing what they were asked to do. They were asked to guard the garden. And a few verses later, Eve's having a chat with a snake. Guard the garden. And you know how gals are. They just got to talk to everybody. <laughs> that was way better in my head. I'm not going to look at any women. So I'm going to do I'm going to do a little bit of expository teaching on these verses, the the last four verses out of Hebrews chapter 5. So Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. I'm going to break these down a little bit. We're going to do uh, some exegetical stuff, make sure that we keep our hermeneutics right. And I'm going to expositorily go down through this so that all of us can kind of be exactly where the author intended for us to be as the people that he was trying to exhort, encourage, change, affect. So the first word there we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're dull of hearing. You cannot explain to somebody something. I cannot, Jeff, who teaches at the ARC, he teaches math. Jeff cannot explain algebra to his class that doesn't understand addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. You can, you can spend five hours and, and be the greatest orator that's ever been known to math. But if a kid doesn't understand how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, they will never understand algebra. They're dull because they're incapable of understanding those concepts. Here the author of Hebrews says, man, I really want to tell you some important stuff. You're not there. I cannot. In the kingdom, truth is built by layers, line upon line, precept upon precept. If you don't understand foundational layers, if, I, if you don't understand adding and subtracting, I cannot get you to algebra. Jesus told Nicodemus, who asked Jesus to come aside and to teach him, please, Lord, come over, and met him at night. And Nicodemus was a really important dude, very powerful dude. He was the leader of the synagogue in that town. And he asked Jesus to come over. Jesus did a one-on-one -on -one with Nicodemus. And when he did this one-on-one, -on -one, Jesus was just in the very beginning stages of explaining the kingdom to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was like, wait, 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 what? How does a guy who's born go back into his mother's womb and get reborn? And I could just imagine Jesus' look like, you think I'm talking about going back into your mother's womb? What is wrong with you? You're a leader in Israel, and you're not understanding the basic spiritual principles I'm trying to get you. And then he made this amazing statement. If you don't understand the things that I'm teaching you now, you will never understand the spiritual truths. This happens all the time. People will hear things. I don't know. It's so confusing. I just don't understand all that, all that Bible stuff, all that Jesus stuff, all that. If you tune your ears to those things, you'll understand it. The same people that don't understand spiritual truths can help calculate the ERA of their favorite picture. 
They can tell me the last five people to win the Super Bowl. They can, they can tell me how to, how to program a computer. Which most of us would say, well, that's really hard. That's hard to understand. So it, it's not lack of ability. It's not lack of intelligence. It's not, it's not lack of, of, of rational thought. It's lack of having the, the proper focus of that thought. If you can sit there and you can watch a baseball game, which I don't even know how people can do that, because I just, I, I, my eyes are looking at the back of my brain. I'm like, what happened? Oh, seventh inning stretch. Yeah, you need a stretch. When you have a sport that needs a stretch in the middle of it, they're trying to tell you not a whole lot goes on. And, I, and I, if you love baseball, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, like, for me, I can't do it. But there are people that can watch that and they can analyze it. And that guy, you know, he's leading off and he's going to steal a base and they got all this going on. And, I, and that's great. God bless them. And people make millions of dollars for talking on a microphone to tell people that they're analyzing the game. God bless them. Good for them. But can you tell me how to make your marriage healthy? Can you tell me how to be healed? Can you tell me how to have peace? Can you tell me to have a victory over a temptation or an addiction? Can you tell me how to love my neighbor? Nope, but I can analyze a baseball game. The same skills that it takes to analyze a baseball game are the exact same skills. I analyze K. I concentrate on K. We have a good marriage. We have the best marriage on the planet because her and I decided to do that. It didn't just float down like pixie dust out of the tail end of a unicorn. It was something we chose to do and we focused on it. And I analyze her. Sometimes you don't like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think, how can, I, how can I please her? How can I bless her? How can I be a better husband? How can I love her like Christ loves the church? You know, if I just took her for granted, well, whatever, she's still gonna be around. If I come home, she's gonna be here. What, she can find someone better? You, you think that way long enough, guess what? She'll find someone better. I mean, not Kay, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> this word dull here doesn't, uh, doesn't mean what you think like a dull pencil. This means slow or sluggish. In fact, in the King James, it uses the word sluggish. In the uh, Christian Standard Bible, it uses the term lazy. I'm just lazy about that stuff. Yeah, you know, I used to read the Bible every morning. I used to pray. I used to listen to podcasts. I used to, you know, I don't know if it really did anything. I, I mean, there's just better things I can be doing right now with my time. It would be way more, it would be way more effective for my future if I really concentrated on my investment portfolio. Okay? There's a trade-off in everything. The clarity of our hearing impacts the ability to understand our theology, our doctrines, our kingdom truth. What I would call this is your worldview. Your worldview is based upon what you hear. There are people that have a worldview that says men can get pregnant. And believe it. 
And if you walked up to him and you were like, you're silly, you're ignorant. These are people with PhDs, y'all. You think that you're gonna make them feel stupid because you, doop-de-doo Christian, with your Bible, don't know that men can get pregnant now. I hope you're following me. They've chosen to concentrate on that and now they've determined that that is a truth. And they believe it so much that they'll take a scalpel to your children and they will cut the healthy sexual organs off your children because they believe so much that men can be pregnant. Does your belief system translate into action? Theirs does. Does yours. I believe in Jesus. Okay, great. So does the devil. He actually believes in Jesus more than you. The devil remembers very vividly the day that Jesus came to hell and kicked his snake tailbone all over hell. Satan believes. He is a believer. He taught the Beatles how to, pre how to preach that song. He believes so much there's action. He's fighting against you. He's fighting against Jesus. He doesn't want the truth in you. He wants darkness in you. He believes so much in Jesus that he's putting darkness in this world, evil in this world, unrighteousness in this world. That's how much he believes. So what do you believe? I believe Jesus. I believe there's a God. Even a God of the Bible, I believe that, really. The God that says, you know, those of you that love me hate evil. If you, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That Jesus? That's the one you believe in? Well, I haven't read that part. Yep. You can know what you understand by what you can effectively explain. Can you explain to me how to have a better marriage? And have the fruit to back it up? We should. Amen or oh me. We should be able to explain to people how to have peace, how to have joy, how to love the unlovely, how to have merciful to people that don't deserve mercy, how to forgive when they don't deserve it. We should be able to explain those things effectively and have the fruit to back it up. If we don't, then you know what should be in your crosshair. Dull of hearing. The, this chastisement that the way that the author of Hebrews here is writing these, uh, these words was not about their inability or even their inaction for holy living. Their spiritual ears were not hearing, placing them in harm's way. I would... I'd like for you to recognize that he didn't go through all this and he said, because a bunch of you are, are uh, uh, addicts. He goes, you're a terrible church, book of Hebrews, because all y'all are just, you're womanizing too much. You're drinking and womanizing and partying. Not one time in any of this discourse did he get into any morality. Uh, we need to understand this. His chastisement was for them because they were getting lackadaisical. They were getting lazy. They were getting dull of the spiritual things. 
you know what? They could have been a super holy church. Right? Everybody could have been stone sober, no, no problems whatsoever, happy marriages, all that. all that stuff could have been fine, and this rebuke to them still could have existed. Why? Because your root will produce your fruit. And if your spiritual roots wither away, you will eventually have withered fruit or no fruit or the wrong fruit. He was chastising them at the, at the foundation of the problems that they were experiencing in their life. We would do well to hear this warning. He was telling them to hear, and you guys have heard me say, this is the Shema, out of, out of Deuteronomy chapter six, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Shema. The word Shema in Hebrew means hear, but the word Shema in Hebrew also means obey. To hear is to obey, and to obey is to hear. You can't have one without the other. God believes that if you actually heard him, you would do it. He's either silly or he's right. All seven churches of the book of Revelation were charged with the same command from Jesus. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All seven. 100% of the churches that Jesus wrote to told them, if you have ears, listen. I'll guarantee you every church member in all of those churches had mud flaps on the side of their heads. There's a difference in hearing and hearing. And all of you with kids know what I'm talking about. Your kids can hear you and not hear you. Uh, ought to be teachers in the next verse. This is the Greek word didaskalos. Although by this time you ought to be teachers. Now he had anticipation and expectation that at this stage in their Christianity they should be teaching. What's their stage? Well, I can tell you that this church is probably about 10 years old based upon how I've researched it. This church is about 10 years old. So if you've been a Christian for 10 years, the author of the book of Hebrews said you should be a rabbi by now. The word didaskalos, which is the word for teacher, is the exact same word teacher that when they walked up to Jesus and they said, good rabbi. The word rabbi in Greek is teacher. So the author of the book of Hebrews says, if you're about 10 years in, you should be a rabbi. Which is true. If you spent 10 years in college to be a doctor, you better be one. Right? If you spent 10 years figuring out how to build a what's a at your factory and you still haven't made your first what's a we're, we're probably going to put you on leave. Unless you're on a union, then you just stay forever. Right? What, it, would be, it would be appropriate to think that if you've poured into someone for 10 years, that there should be a level of of effectiveness in that person, a, a level of, of professional ability. You should be, on, be beyond amateur. I'm professionally married. 28 years in, I'm telling you, I got this sucker knocked. 
got a degree. School hard knocks. There is a righteous expectation of the Lord and, and his ministers for certain levels of growth, development, change, and transformation. It is appropriate for the Lord and for his representatives to come in your life and have a DTR. DTR stands for define the relationship. It is totally appropriate. If you've been here for 10 years and I, <laughs> Pastor Steve's here, what's he want? Probably wants to define the relationship again. Yep, I do. Why? Why do we have this relationship? Why is it stagnant? Why does it mean nothing? Why does Jesus mean nothing? Why are things in your life worse now? If you're 40 years into Christianity and you're more sick and you're more broke and you're more upset and you have less joy and less peace and you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And someone should tell you. If, you, if I pulled over on the side of the road and, and you were a teenager and you were changing a flat tire and you were using a hammer to do it, I seen a video, I'm not gonna get off track. I seen a video of these two teenage girls. Some guy was shooting a video from off of far and he like zoomed in. There was two teenage girls that had a hole in their tire and one of them was filling the tire with a little uh, air compressor that was plugged into her cigarette and she was filling the tire with air. The other one was putting duct tape over the hole. Why are you laughing? What's wrong with that? Why is duct tape on a tire not gonna get them home? <laughs> Someone who loves them should have come up to them and said, hey, you're doing it wrong. God bless you, but you're doing it wrong. And if they were humble, they would have said, okay, how do we do it? I'll show you. In fact, I'll do it for you. Just stand back and watch. And I've done this for people. I've done it for grown men. There's grown men that I've pulled over and helped them change a tire. I didn't condemn them. I didn't shame them. But they, I don't know what they were taught. I don't know what their, their upbringing was. I don't know what kind of dad they had. I don't know what their lifestyle was. I don't, it doesn't matter. I know I'm going to have an opportunity to bless someone. Hey, this is, this is how you do this. You got to make sure when you're doing this, you do this. When we have Scott's Garage, whenever I'm working with people, uh, you know, like we do an oil change. And I'll, I'll guarantee you that the four or five guys that are doing the oil change with me, they know how to do an oil change. Duh. Filter off, dump the oil, put the plug back in, put the filter on, put oil in it. You change the oil. There is like a hundred more steps that a real, a person who's been taught how to do this would would be beneficial to teach someone that they love. Hey, while you got the car up, let's check the air, let's look around at the exhaust, make sure nothing's hanging, let's, make, let's look at all the suspension pieces, let me show you how to shake the suspension to see if there, any of the suspension pieces are broken so then you're not going down the road and your tie rod pops off. All, all of these things because you love someone, if you see someone doing something wrong, if you see someone heading for disaster, if you see someone heading there, you would stop them, hey! There's a train coming on the track that you're right now sitting there playing Legos on. Well, nobody asked you, judgmental. Are you condemning me for Legos? No, get off the track. I'm condemning you because you're stupid. <laughs> Don't do that. That's not going to work. 
Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you. You need someone. Isn't there like 50 secular songs written about that premise, you need someone? Why do we get into the kingdom we think we don't? I got the Bible and the Holy Spirit now. God bless you. You're going to be the first person in the history of spirituality that's going to get it without help. You are amazing. You know Jesus had teachers? You know Jesus went to church? You know Jesus submitted himself to spiritual leaders? Jesus! Jesus! If you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to go to church and submit yourself to spiritual leaders. Now, if you're not like Jesus, well, then do it your way. Because obviously you got it way better. Because the way Jesus did it was wrong. Amen? You need someone. Notice it doesn't say, yeah, you know, it'd be good for you if you had someone. You need. Need. That's important. You need people. People need people. Ministers need ministers. I need people. I've got lots of people. I need so many people, I got more people than you got people. Because I know how stupid I can be. I've been stupid. I've nearly ruined my whole life. I nearly ruined my marriage, nearly ruined my kids, nearly ruined everything that God called me to. Boy, howdy, let me tell you how important it is for Steve Castle to have a bunch of people in his life. And I talk to him a lot. And I ask them, hey, is there anything wrong? Have you listened to my messages? Hey, I hang, I've hung out with you for six, seven hours now. Do you, do you see anything in my character or my birth that needs to be adjusted? And they'll tell me. Shocking. I actually want that. I want people to tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Because unlike you, I can't always hear the Holy Spirit telling me every single intimate thing that I need to hear. I know you can, I, I get that, you're awesome, you're way better than me. I'm just a regular dude. I can't always hear the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there's like white noise. Sometimes there's, I don't know, me. And it's hard to hear what God's trying to tell me. I need people in my life to say, hey, you know, I think God's probably saying stop hitting your thumb with that hammer. You think that's from the Lord? I, yeah, I, I'm thinking so. Well, you must have a lot of discernment. Yeah, okay, we'll go with that. The kingdom is comprised of people teaching people with the spirit giving oversight and with the word of God. A sheep without a shepherd is mutton. Mutton. Luke 10, 16, this is Jesus. So if you don't like what I got to say, let's listen to what Jesus has to say. The one who hears you, disciples, the one who hears you, Here's me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him that sent me. I didn't write that. If God sends me into someone's life to tell them something and they reject it, they're not rejecting me. This is why I don't get butt hurt when people get all mad at me. Oh, you're rejecting me? Sucks for you. That's, that's between you and Jesus, because he sent me. Now, sometimes I'm just Steve, and I'm just talking. Amen. But sometimes I'm sent by the Lord, like, hey, this is from the Lord. This isn't Steve goofing off. Like, this is from the Lord. You need to listen. I don't want to listen. Okay. 
Well, tell him. He sent me. And then the next phrase there is reteach, which is interesting. Reteach means to be taught again. <laughs> you, we forgot. Anybody ever forget? I forgot. You need to be retaught some things. If you get to this stage in spiritual life, there are times that someone needs to come in and re-solidify some of the foundational principles. Let, let's, let's go back. Let's make the main things the main things again. Let's, let's, let's deal with priority number one. Where are you at here? Where, where are you at with loving God, being intimate with him? Where are you at uh, with loving your wife and your, and your husband? Where are you at with your kids? Where are you at with... Let's, let's go back to the core principles. Let's start there. You know, there's a bunch of people that can tell me, you know, the exact prophetic act to make sure that they get rid of named demon at zip code, you know, 61048 or something like that. Like, you, you, you nail this spike in the ground with this verse on it, and then you dance like a, an Indian, and you pray in tongues for four hours, and then a prophetic word comes out, and then the demon over, over Lena just goes, ah, and leaves. They can, they can tell me the deep principles of the prophetic activities. Can you tell me how to love your neighbor? I don't even like my neighbors. I just hang out in my house. Okay, well, tell me how to be successfully in a church. I don't go to church. I'm a prophet. Okay? Reteach, denoting that these truths were delivered from the, unto them previously and clearly based on the author's notable frustration with the audience's immaturity. Basic principles is the, is the next word, and this is a compound word. It's arche and stoicheion. Arche and stokeion. Arche, you probably, that rings a bell to you, which is the beginning. Uh, we're, we're back to Hebrews. Mary. <laughs> Mary. Hebrews 5. I think it's 12. Uh, Arche, stoikion, which is basic principles. Arche means the beginning. The beginning which is like uh, arch, the, the archangel are the angels from the beginning or of the highest importance. So basic, highest, or at the beginning. And then stoikion, which means fundamentals. This would be like kindergarten. So these would be primary fundamentals. You do not go to first grade till you tie your shoes. That's how you flunk kindergarten. You'll be in kindergarten until you tie your shoes. So in, in the spirit, in, in our spiritual growth, in our spiritual maturity, you don't go to whatever the level is that some people think that they want to get to or go to unless you've got foundational principles. And a lot of people want to skip all the foundation stuff. Blah, 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 holy living, blah, 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 understand the scripture, blah, 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 pray the right way. I don't want to do that. I want to raise the dead. Okay, me too. I'm, I'm cool with that. Great desire. But the way you get there is by doing all the fundamental things. The way that you win a gold medal for the 100-meter relay in the Olympics is that you learn to tie your shoes in kindergarten. In the RSV, 
It says that stoichion is the elemental spirits. So these are the things that build up the foundations of your spirit. The, it says of God's word, the basic principles, the archaistoikion of, and this is the word logos, God's word, logos. And you heard me talk about this and I'm not gonna spend much time there. In, in the Aramaic, in some of the Targums, which is like the Aramaic Bible, the way they would translate the name of God, they would actually take the name Yahweh and they would translate it as Memra. Memra in, in Aramaic is the word for word. So they would take the name of God, Yahweh, and they would call him the word. Now, isn't that radical? Has anybody ever heard anybody else do that? Oh, that's right. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So the Logos is God. Not the Bible, the Logos. The, the paper book that's in your lap is a paper book. But inside of there, there is the words and the thoughts of God. Logos is the, is the word that we get our root word, logic. If you have logic, it's because you've used logos. Now, there's logic in the world that says if you're broke, keep all your money and put it in a box and bury it in your backyard. In the kingdom, God says, hey, my logic is if you need money, you sow it. You get it. And I know that people, when they hear that stuff, like, uh-uh. These are the very same people that are going to go have lunch today and eat corn. And I'd say, hey, where do you think that corn came from? Oh, it came from the field. Yeah, how'd it get there? Well, somebody planted a, oh. <laughs> we believe it about corn. We don't believe it about money. Okay. In uh, the next verse, nope, nope, you're right, you're right. Back, back up, I'm sorry. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word, you need milk. Now what's interesting is this is the Greek word for milk that literally specifically is talking about breast milk. This is like going back to your mom and, and having to get everything processed for you. Everything. And, and there's people in Christianity that are that way. Like they just can't work their way out of a spiritual wet paper bag. And that's, that's not okay. Now it's okay to go to have a glass of milk. If you come over to Stephen K's and you want, uh, we don't have milk in our house, but if we're having lunch and, and we had milk and you said, hey, can I have a glass of milk? Yeah. And I'll put a glass of milk right next to your T-bone. And so, yeah, I'm going to give you some milk and you're going to eat a T-bone. Because when we invite people over, we feed them well. Amen? But if you came over to our house and you wanted to have dinner, and you said, oh, I can't eat a T-bone, I'll throw up. Oh, how about a hamburger? Nope, I'll throw up. Okay, hot dog? Oh, no, that's terrible. Uh, salad? Oh, God, no, I throw up. Do you have any milk? I, yeah, I guess. Give you milk. I just need milk. You're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be able to survive that way. But here's what's interesting. When you're an infant, 
That's all you need. So when you're young in the Lord, all you need is for someone to just teach you. Just sit at someone's feet. Like Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Just sit at his feet. Soak it up. Soak it up. Soak it up. Soak it up. But at some point, you're like, all right. It's time to get a hamburger. You should not be codependent on your spiritual mommy. Inexperienced. Uh, next verse now, Mary. Inexperienced there, for everyone who lives on milk is still an infant. Inexperienced. That is the word aperios, and this means that you, it's a compound word of a and perios. Perios is a test or a trial. A is the opposite. What this means is you are not capable of passing the test yet. If you were tested or tried in some area of your life and you failed, then you missed the quiz. So then what do you need to do? You need to relearn that principle, Right? If you sat in my class and I was teaching you science and you failed the science quiz, I'm going to say, okay, well, little junior needs to have that lecture again. So then they'll get it and they'll pass the test. In life, it is filled with tests. Filled with them. Moral tests, uh, tests of your own character, tests of your virtue, tests of what you're going to do in certain circumstances. Uh, if you, you've heard me say this, if you pre-defeat a temptation, then when the temptation comes, it's already defeated. I do this a lot in my life. I've already gone in my head and I say, if I'm presented with this or this or this, that's a, that's a no way. And so I, when it's presented like, ha ha, I already found you, no good. And if you're struggling with something, just pre-defeat it. Spend time with the Lord, pre-defeat that thing. And then when it shows up, you're like, ha ha, I already beat you. I win. The inexperienced means that you have not actually taken the information and worked it to the degree where you can actually make it usable. You can't show your math. You, you might be able to get to the right answer, but you can't show your math. You're inexperienced in it. And so if there's places in your life that you're still failing these things, then it's an experience issue sometimes, which means you got to keep doing it. You got to keep doing it. You, the only way uh, Zach went downstate for high jump. And when it, those of you that, that, that know anything about high jump, high jump is yes, you can jump. But it has a lot to do with form. It's the exact right form to get over that bar. How do you get the form right? Experience, experience. God bless Zach, he was blessed by his dad. His dad's got good ups and so Zach got good ups in his blood. But Zach had to do the diligent thing of testing and testing and testing and testing and getting the curve right before he could go down state. And we don't do these things in the spirit like, okay, well I heard that good sermon, woohoo! All right, off to football. And we don't test these things in our lives. And notice that this is inexperienced in the message of righteousness. It doesn't say inexperienced in, you know, beating porn or something like that. Inexperienced in the message of righteousness. Can you explain the righteousness of God to me? And show me how to live in it. 
This is the test. This is the test. We think this, this comes down to morality. Are you beating your dog? You better stop beating your dog. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't beat your dog. You know, if you were righteous, you wouldn't consider beating your dog. The problem isn't beating your dog. The problem is you're not living in righteousness. The problem isn't you screamed at your wife. The problem is that you don't know how to live in righteousness. Righteous people don't scream at their wives. The next word is mature in, the, in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. You get a T-bone when you're mature. Now mature is the word teleos, which is the word that's translated in the King James, perfect. And this word throws a ton of people off because they think perfect as in without flaw. The word perfect in the scriptures means of full maturity bearing fruit. If you walk up to an apple tree and it's got great big red healthy apples on it, you would say, hey, look, a mature tree. You could say biblically, hey, look, a perfect tree. Perfect means it's got all the parts, it's got roots, it's got dirt, it's got water, it's got minerals, and it's bearing fruit. So obviously it's got, it's perfectly has all the pieces. But you could find a place where it's got an ugly piece of bark. It could have one wayward branch that's kind of funky. That doesn't mean that it's not perfect. It just means that it needs to be tended. You know, you will never be mature in its final state. You will just be more mature, hopefully, tomorrow than you are today. Now, if you're immature, we need to deal with that. We need to get you out of immaturity. But mature is not a destination, it's a desire. I desire to be more mature today than I was yesterday. I desire to do better today than I did yesterday. I desire to love more, to have more mercy, to have more grace in my life today than I did yesterday. I desire to have more fruit in my life than I did yesterday. I want to be more mature today than yesterday. There, if you are done being mature, you're done. That, that's like game over. You're dying. If you're not maturing, you're dying. Uh, full grown, complete, capable of bearing fruit. Constant use is the next one. And this is where we get the word for echo in the Greek. Echo. What is echo? Echo is the exact thing being repeated over and over and over. So when you figure out the perfect form, back to Zach, when Zach's coach teaches him this is the exact form, this is the way you do it. This is the launch. This is the number of steps. This is exactly how long your steps need to be. At this moment, you launch up, and then you bend this way, and you do that. This is the form. So then Zach needs to echo and echo and echo and echo and echo over and over. If he echoes that form, solid food is for the mature who by echo, 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 have trained their senses. Your senses don't get trained one time. You don't tell your senses, all right, we're going to be righteous today. You know what your senses say? Well, we've been unrighteous for 22 years. So we're going to go ahead and do that echo. But thanks for the, that was good effort though, A for effort. You're going to have to train these things and that's why it's going to take diligence to do that. 
Uh, this is, means a purposeful and concerted effort to practice regularly. You, you perform how you practice. If you practice with Facebook, watching three hours of goofy videos and people talk about how angry they are and how much they hate the world, that's your practice. Guess what you're going to do? The next word is trained, having, uh, through constant use, have trained. And this word trained, you're going to know, everyone in here is going to know a little bit of Greek. This is the word gymnasio, which is where we get gymnasium. Gymnasium is the word for trained. In, in this time, in Kone Greek time, a gymnasium was where, mostly men, was where the boys and the men went and they trained to become Olympians. The Olympics came from these people. And at the gymnasium, the gym, they would go and they would practice whatever it was. And they would do it all day. And they would do it with people that were better than them and they would do it naked. Yep. Why naked? Because they were not gonna let a single thing hinder them from getting it right. They were winning the Olympics. They weren't going there to goof off. This wasn't going to be, oh, you know, I want to get a little bit better at running. I'm going to run faster than anyone. And whatever it takes, if it takes eight hours of training, seven days a week, and I'm going to do that naked, that's what I'm willing to pay. They were not going to let any of the hindrances of the world, they knew that they were going to be in an environment where they could be naked and unashamed. Nobody was weird about them being naked in there. That's how you trained, especially Greco-Roman wrestling. They would, they would have to learn how to wrestle with the sweaty guy. How do you win wrestling when you're wrestling someone sweaty and then you practice with clothes on? You have to practice the way that you're going to actually get to the, to the fight, to the battle that you're going to be in. You have to be naked and unashamed and be trained in every way so that your coach can tell you what you're doing wrong. This is where the garden came in. God was teaching them naked and unashamed. And then the snake slithered in and told them that they were naked. And so they hid themselves with fig leaves. And we've been naked ever since. If we go back to the gymnasium of God, then we can practice with God he made you, he knows what you look like. Even when it's just you in a dark room, he knows what you look like. And he's not ashamed of you. And he wants to train you, but you have to be authentic. You have to be willing to be naked and unashamed before God so he can talk to you about the things that actually matter. And we have to learn to do this with each other. The more you hide the more you're creating a safe place for the shame that is in your life. When I ask people what's going on in their life, they're like, oh, you know, everything, mostly fine. Oh, okay. Got it. You're going to hide it. You only hide things you're ashamed of. The next one is senses. And this is a stereon. And this is talking about the organs that help you perceive. You know, you can actually train your physical body, your soulish body, and your spiritual body to help you 
discern what's actually going on. All of you that have been, all of you that have been red-pilled, and you know about the jab, and you know about the virus, and you know about the government, you know about all of you that have actually gotten there, you know nobody's ever going to be able to fool you again that way? Because you've been, ah, that's right, I remember the trick. Yep, yep, I remember what they did. I remember the lies they told us. I remember how they tried to trap us. I remember how I was conned and deceived. Nope, 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 not again. It's not happening again. And the reason you're that way is because you trained yourself to pick up on the little things that the average person sitting next to you with 14 boosters like, oh, I just keep getting boosted. You've been sick for like three years. Maybe it ain't working. Nope, nope, nope. I've only had COVID 42 times. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not, okay, stop. <laughs> Your senses will help you pick up on things that if you train them, if you teach them how to be discerned, you'll start picking up on stuff that you never picked up on before. And you will become more professional with doing your life in righteousness. You'll see that person that lashes out at you at work all the time. They're just the meanest person at work. I don't know what's their problem is. All the time, this person, and then one day you'll be like, oh, their husband abuses them. They're being hurt regularly by someone who's supposed to love them. And this is how they do life. Maybe I need to minister mercy and love to this person that's lashing out at me because I've discerned that all this is is a defense mechanism so she doesn't get hurt by someone in addition to her husband. And then you come in soft. Hey, sis, I'm sorry that your life isn't awesome but I'll be a friend to you. I'll love you. You're gonna love me when I was just lashed out at you? Yep. Why would you do that? Because I'm different. You just saved a person's life because you trained your senses to something bigger than just that mean person at work lashing out at you. And the last one, distinguish. This is the Greek word diakresis. And kresis is an important word in the scriptures. This is the word for judge. It's translated as judged. But what kresis actually means is to go back and forth thoroughly. The word dia means thoroughly. And kresis means to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So if you thoroughly go back and forth, that means you are looking at all of the possible options, and now you have the ability to make a judgment. What a judge does in a courtroom is he listens to everything the defense has to say, and he listens to everything the prosecutors has to say. And he goes back and forth, and he goes back and forth, and he goes back and forth, and at some point he's like, all right, I am ready to make a judgment. And he declares the judgment. You can get your senses, you can practice yourself to the stage where you can actually get to this part of authentic Christianity, 
where you can go back and forth over the situations that you have in your life. And you can see where God was working and you can see where the brokenness was working. You can see where God was working. You can see where evil was working. And you can see where God was working and you can see where somebody that's crying out. And you can properly at some point discern and make a proper judgment. You know, the word judgment, I don't like it in the scriptures because it's, everybody takes it negative. When someone says, you know, you judged me, it's always a negative thing. But you actually want a judge to judge you if you're innocent. If I've been arrested for something I didn't do, I am praying for justice for a judge to give me what I deserve. So sometimes the judgment that we have needs to be innocence. And if you're in Christ and you've had his shed blood in your life, you have been washed from all iniquity. You've been washed from all of your trespasses. You no longer have a sin nature and you are not broken any longer because of what he did, what he did. And the judgment of God in your life is innocent, righteous, and truly holy. These principles are solid. The heroes on the pages of our holy canon were the ones who allowed and participated in the maturation of their inner man. And if you and I are to fulfill our high calling, we will need to submit to this process as well. There is no microwave in the kingdom. Additionally, we will need to regularly and purposefully exercise and disciple these truths because if one is not growing, they are dying. And I am not gonna idly stand by and let any of you die. I am gonna fight with everything I got to keep all y'all alive. Don't fight the hand that's feeding you. God's fighting for you harder than I am. Way harder than I am. Keep yourself available to the Holy Spirit to bring correction to bring rebuke, and to bring affirmation and comfort. All of those things the Holy Spirit will do if you give him an opportunity. And you will be fully grown, fully mature, barren fruit. Please rise, I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.